You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. We're going to look at Romans chapter 15 this morning as we wrap up this series, Authentic Fire. This is a series we've been in uh, to kick off this summer. You may be asking, when did summer start? No one knows. No one knows when summer started. Sometime back in March, it started, and it's still going. Um, but uh, we've been really in this series contending for an authentic move of God and really with fresh eyes looking into the New Testament and saying, God, we want all that you have for us. We want the power of God in our generation. We want to stop reading around the miraculous and the displays of your power that we read about in the New Testament and making excuses for why we don't see it today. And so we want to press in and say, God, we want all that you have for us. So this morning we're going to talk about a gospel that's accompanied by signs and wonders, a Christianity that's accompanied by signs and wonders. So we, we see in the New Testament, we're going to talk about that, but as soon as we started talking about signs and wonders, I know there can be some hesitations rising up in people's minds and hearts um, as some think of fanaticism or emotionalism, uh, hyper-spiritualism. Some people think of counterfeit miracles, counterfeit signs and wonders, um, and so what do we do with all that? Like, What do we do with all that weird stuff and um, how do we contend for the authentic uh, in, in light of that or in spite of that? Um, I, I really want to press into all that God has for us and say there's, there's, got to be, there's got to be more. We don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, uh, as the saying goes. So uh, when I was in, growing up, you know, I loved sports. I loved um, all professional sports, essentially. And I really, I really got into collecting uh, basketball cards. Uh, NBA cards and other memorabilia from from the NBA, and I got into a kick in middle school of of sending out letters to uh, NBA stars and asking them for their autograph. And I was just a kid in my room, just all nerding out, loving it, and writing these letters. And uh, most of them did not respond, but I got two responses: two gentlemen, one by the name of Latrell Sprewell. Anybody remember Latrell Sprewell? He's kind of a bad boy of the NBA, but he he sent me back an autographed pic of himself. I was like, oh, so stoked. This is amazing. A couple weeks later, I got an autographed picture of Carl the Mailman Malone. Come on. Can I hear it, somebody? Come on. Carl Malone. I mean, he was ripped, but he had finesse. He was awesome. If you guys remember Carl Malone, he sent me a picture of himself with an autograph, and I was just so stoked. And so I was a card nerd, so I, I took my cards down to the, the um, the card collector store, and I wanted to show it to the shop owner and see if they're authentic, you know, if he could authenticate them. And, and so the shop owner, he looked at the first one, the Charles Sprewell, and he quickly said, hey, sorry, man, this is, this is a print. This is just a mass-produced print. He quickly set it aside, discarded it, my, my, my hopes and my dreams getting shredded before my eyes. But then he looked at the Carl Malone one, and he said, no, I can see the, I can see the, the imprints of the marker. And he compared it to other Carl Malone autographs. He said, no, from all I can tell, this is, this is authentic. Uh, kudos to you. Good job, kid. Um, and so there I, there I had, in my hands, walking out of the shop, I had a counterfeit and I had the authentic. And in Christianity, we have to be really careful that because, because we see the counterfeit that we don't negate the authentic. The authentic exists. And we read about it in the New Testament. We see it time and time again, God showing up in power through the ministry of Jesus, but as he commissions disciples and as he births the church, births the church, New Testament church, we see the miraculous and the power of God. And so, yes, this morning I will acknowledge the, the excesses. I will acknowledge the counterfeit. I will acknowledge emotionalism. 
but I'm not going to throw the baby out of the bathwater. I'm not going to negate the authentic because of the counterfeit. You tracking with me? We're going to press into this. And, that, and it's that for that reason in this entire series that, that we contend for transformation of lives, real transformation in human hearts, people that are lost, broken, in need, as I was. I mean, I was hopeless before I encountered Jesus for myself, truly hopeless until I encountered him. And that's why we contend for that, because we feel like the power of God is truly relevant to every single human be- being that walks the streets of our city. That's why we contend for for healing in people's body. That's why we pray for the sick. And last week we, we did that. That's why we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be working in people's lives because we're talking about real relationship with, with a living God. And according to the gospel, the New Testament, Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you when you put, put your faith in Jesus Christ. So that should mean something for our daily lives. That shouldn't just mean something for some songs we sing on a Sunday morning. That should mean something for our lives Monday morning, Monday afternoon. That's why we're contending for revival and transformation of our city. You know, last week when we prayed for healing in people, it's just so cool to hear a couple testimonies come my way just in conversation with people. But there's one individual last, last Sunday who he, he raised his hand to receive prayer for, for healing. And he had been struggling with sleepless nights, staring at the ceiling. If you've been there, it's miserable, is it not? Tossing and turning. So seems small, insignificant, but he raised his hand in faith. As we proclaim Jesus as Savior, as healer, he raised his hand in faith for, for healing in that. Sunday night, he slept, slept through the night, slept right away, right when he hit his, his head to the pillow. And, and then he, I talked to him Thursday. He said, five nights in a row, he slept through the night. Praise the Lord. Another young lady came to me and said that she raised her hand because she had pain in her ankle. And the Lord removed that pain right then when she raised her hand. We praise, we praise God for those uh, stories of his power, and we take every single one and we cherish. And we say, praise you, Lord, your healer, your savior. Another individual was visiting us last week from Iowa City. And he'd grown up in and around church. But church as like an institution, church as a building, as like church as faith through like clergy. But last Sunday, Holy Spirit pierced his heart. And he surrendered his life to Christ. It's like he had, never, he had never made that personal commitment to surrender himself to the Lord. It's like always kind of like a mental ascent, you know, of maybe some beliefs in a far-off being, far-off God, but never surrendered his life to Christ. And so we connected him with the church in Iowa City. And I praise God for heart transformation. As I said last week, that is the greatest miracle. And it's the, the greatest miracle of the transformation of a human heart that opens up the doorways for all lesser miracles, which are healing of cancer, or healing of ankles, or healing of sleepless nights. We praise God for it all. But that should be the fruit of the gospel and the, the life of the believer. Signs and wonders and the power of God. And so we're going to look at that this morning. I will call out the excess and dangers. Let's look at Romans chapter 15. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he was yet to, to have visited but a church really birthed out of an exile of, um, of believers, both Jewish and Gentile believers from Jerusalem to the prominent city of Rome. And so they, they started a church in Rome, but there was some tension between the Jews and the Gentiles as to what, what, the, what the real simple heart of the gospel was. And so that's why the, the book of Romans is the most robust, thorough, beautiful articulation of the gospel that we have in the entire New Testament it's an amazing, amazing book. But as he gets towards the end of his letter, he's, 
you know, commending his ministry to these people as to, you know, what his credentials are for them listening to him as he continues to be one that goes to the front lines, to uncharted territories, to proclaim the gospel to those that have yet uh, to hear. And this is what he says, uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 17. He says, in Christ Jesus, then I have a reason to be proud of my work for God. This is, this is good boasting. This is good pride. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elicarum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He, he says that his ministry, his message of the gospel was marked by signs and wonders, by the power of God, by both word and deed. And how often is the church just known for word? They're just, just known for, for kind of talking a lot, but not a lot, of, not a lot of deeds. Well, he says, look at the word and the deeds. Look at the power of God demonstrated. Signs and wonders, and I boast in that. He boasts in that which only God can do. And how often is the church boasting in what we accomplish through our own flesh? Build our buildings, build our programs, build these monuments to ourselves, but it's void of power. We need the power of God. We need signs and wonders to make a true impact in our city. Think of the most broken in our city, the addicts, broken relationships, those who have no hope, they need the power of God. They don't need more words. They need the power of God. And as I've said in prior weeks, we are a supernatural people. We've been grafted into the, super, into the supernatural. When you surrender your life to Jesus, what happens is Jesus says you're born again. Meaning Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in you. That means you're grafted into something supernatural. It's something you cannot do on your own. It's the supernatural power of God. And so that initiates a whole new way of life for us. But I understand. Some are concerned with, with excesses. Some are concerned by emotionalism, by counterfeits, by distractions of our flesh. So what do we do about that? I want to address those very clearly this morning. I want to address some dangers of signs and wonders. And as I talk about signs and wonders, I'm also lumping into this conversation any outward expressions um, that, that to some, especially in the West, Western post-enlightenment, left-thinking, left-brained thinking uh, individuals, we have a hard time wrapping our minds around any expressions of emotion. Some people around, around here, they step into our church, they're like, I've never seen people worship like this. What is going on? Why are people lifting their hands? Why are people lifting their voices so loud? Um, why are people dancing around? What is going on? I lump all that into this this morning. Any physical manifestation, physical demonstration um, outwardly as well as signs and wonders. So dangers of signs and wonders. First is this, wondering at signs rather than Christ. And I would say that's the most obvious. Like anything that takes our affection, takes our eyes of Jesus. He's our savior. He's our Messiah. He's our master. He's our Lord. He's our king. He is our affection. And so anything that becomes a distraction from Christ is error, and it should be called out. We don't seek signs. We don't seek wonders. We, we 
seek the wonder worker. That's, that's what we do. We, we seek him. And yes, he works miracles, but our eyes on him. And even last week as I articulated the convictions that we have as we read the New Testament regarding healing, Jesus is our healer. He's our healer. Even in the waiting, he's our healer. He's our savior. He's our hope. He's our source. He's our strength. And so I'd say that's the most obvious, but we're not going to take our eyes off of Christ and put them on signs. He is our affection. Second is this, emotionalism. Emotionalism. Being driven, being led by our emotions. And most moves of God in, the, in, in church history have been accused of emotionalism. They've been accused of kind of fanatical, just emotional excess. And so I want to help us discern this a little bit, what that which can be discerned. Um, emotionalism is bad. Emotions are not bad. You know, inherently, emotions are part of who God created us to be. But when emotions are in the driver's seat, things are not good. Emotions are great followers. Emotions are great slaves. They should not be master. They should not be driving us. And so what happens in emotionalism is we're being driven by our emotions. And we also fall into this rut of thinking that if something emotional did not happen, then you know, something must be off or I must be broken or that must have been a bad service or something. You know, emotions are a response to something real that's happened. You know, it can be just this overwhelming sense of remorse or, or brokenness or even joyful tears. It can be a sense of, of laughter. And I just got a shout out from the rooftops. That's why I'm all for dancing. You know, I, I experienced like this like raw level of, of, of emotion as an overflow in my bedroom as a, as a middle school. I grew up in a broken, broken home, broken family. Uh, saw a lot of tragedy in our home, fighting, and, uh, experience, and experience things of God in church. But really where I experienced my heart of worship was in my bedroom. Picked up my mom's old 12-string string guitar in my bedroom. I just began to worship the Lord. I've, I wrote songs. This is when I was like 13 years old. I wrote songs to the Lord no one's ever heard. Cried to the Lord. Laughed before the Lord. I even learned dance before the Lord in my bedroom. Okay. <laughs> Seriously. But I think that is beautiful. Not just because that's my own story, but I'm saying that is like a true overflow of emotions being led by something real that's happening, by a true encounter. And I mean, does it even make sense that we're talking about a real powerful God that's in relationship with us and emotions not being a part of it? I mean, it doesn't even make sense. If it's real, there would also be emotions a part of it, but emotions cannot drive us. And so as we, as we see the power of God move in our midst, and I've seen God move over the last 10, 15 years, emotions are a part of it. And the reality is we can't always discern what is of the flesh and what is genuine. We can't. Proof will be shown over time. It'll be demonstrated over time. But I am willing to press into the authentic power of God and, and let things kind of fall where, where they may, rather than settling for some nice, tidy little God in a box that's, that kind of soothes our conscience. This is what John Wesley said is during the first great awakening that he, where he, they were accused of all sorts of excesses, people crying out under conviction of the Holy Spirit, people falling under the power of God and people didn't have a grid for it in, in high church. But this is what John Wesley said. He said, be not alarmed that, that Satan toes, oh, sorry, sows tares among the wheat of Christ. 
It has been so, especially on any remarkable outpouring of the Spirit. Never will be until the devil is chained for a thousand years. He's like, it is what it is. I mean, that's, that's going to happen during an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There'll be kind of a mixture of the flesh, but the genuine. He says, oh Lord, send us revival without defects. But if this cannot be, send it with all of its defects. We must have revival. And that, that, that's my heart cry. I, I just don't want to settle for, like I would quit tomorrow if it meant that I had to settle for that, that lesser form of Christianity where God fits in a box and everyone just feels comfortable all the time. We've got to press into it. So emotionalism is not good. It's a danger. Third is hyper-spiritualism. Hyper-spiritualism. This, this sense that everything is a sign and everyone starts to get on like... Um, on the, the tips of their toes, looking, uh, perceiving into everything, interpreting everything as a sign, an extra spiritual sign from the Lord. What ends up happening uh, in hyper-spiritualism is people begin to take their eyes off the clear revelation of, script, of Scripture and they start to look for revelation elsewhere. As though we always need a sign for God to, to demonstrate or to lead us or to, to show us where to go. And there's kind of this insatiable desire for more. Hyperspiritualism can be a dangerous place. Every dream is not a dream from the Lord, although God can speak through dreams. And every, you know, every premonition, every thought is not from God. No, we, we lead it through the filter of Scripture. And what does God's revealed will tell us? And yes, obviously God can lead us through, through the Holy Spirit, that still small voice. But it starts from the place of Scripture. And then the Holy Spirit will, will lead us into all truth. So hyper-spiritualism is a danger of signs and wonders. Fourth is this, what I was kind of alluding to there, that there's never enough. If signs become the end all, the reality is it's, it's never enough. There's always another sign that, that, that seems to be needed in the moment that, that will suit our, um, our desires. And this became the, the um, condemning uh, call upon the generation of Jesus' generation against the Jews, as obviously they had the miracle worker in their midst working signs and wonders all around him, and yet there were some that were still asking for another sign. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, Jesus calls him out. He says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. These were the ones who were following around. I mean, they had been watching his miracles, the lame walk, the blind see. It's like, we, we want another sign that you're Messiah. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So we've had the greatest sign, like the sign that the angels and the prophets longed for. We, we've had it before us. It's Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. We've had this, the, the greatest sign, the sign, capital S, he says, the men of Nineveh, so the ones that Jonah preached to, many of them whom turned to the Lord, they'll rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here, obviously Jesus. And the queen of the south, you know, who discerned the greatness of, of Israel in King Solomon, she will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Like she perceived the significance of what was happening in Israel. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So we've had the greatest sign. It's Jesus Christ. So we need to make sure we don't place any, any sense of need for some greater sign than what we've been given. We live in the, the greatest age right now. 
the, the greatest uh, proliferation of the gospel across the earth, the greatest connectivity. So we need to not take our eyes off the revealed will. It's already been clearly given to us. There's never enough. It can always be this sense of like, yeah, well, if God does this, then, then, I'll, really be, then I'll really be committed. Then I'll be all in. But until then, I'm just gonna kind of sit here. We need to avoid that. There's, there's never enough. So I wanted to clearly call that out. I want to acknowledge that. So then why do we need signs and wonders? Like, is it worth it? If those are the dangers, and those could easily take us off the rails, throw us into the ditch, like, why, why do we even talk about it? Why do we contend for it? Well, Jesus said they would follow us. And that was also the example of Paul. Paul seemed to really take Jesus at his word. This is, this is the way uh, Paul described his ministry here to the church in Rome. It's the same way he described his ministry to the church in Corinth, the same way he described his ministry to the church in Thessalonica. It's, it's, this will be through both word and deed, through a demonstration of the, of the Spirit's power. Jesus said they would follow us. And so when he commissioned the disciples in Mark chapter 16, I mean, he leaves no if and ors about it. He says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. There is this accompanying power that Jesus articulates as he commissions his disciples. These signs will accompany those that believe. That was the same way he sent out his disciples earlier in his ministry, before his, before his resurrection, before his death and resurrection. He said, go, proclaim the kingdom, lay your hands on the sick, and they will be healed. So Jesus said this would be the fruit of, of disciples. And so if we, if we look at the life of the church, if we, if we look at our own lives, we look at the life of believers, there's certain fruit that should indicate whether or not we're authentic or not. And Jesus said these signs will follow us. And I'm not cherry picking here. This becomes a theme throughout the New Testament that the expectation will be signs and wonders. I know some of you are looking at, well, so we're supposed to be picking up serpents or drinking deadly poison. Well, those are unique references there, but he's really referring to divine protection. That he's not gonna call us to anything that he's also not gonna protect us within. He's gonna give us divine power, divine authority, divine protection. So Jesus said these signs and wonders would follow us. Second is this, they point us to Jesus' power and wonder. God is powerful. He is wonderful. And so we should expect for there to be an interaction with this all-powerful, wonderful being, creator of the universe. And when he shows up in a room, it would seem that there would be demonstrable manifestations. There would be an impact. Like we read about in Acts chapter 4, it says, The room was shaken. It makes sense that, that our expectation in our pursuit and our worship and our uh, allegiance to this all-powerful God would expect certain displays of his power. And that includes conviction of our hearts, where all of a sudden we see clearly, wow, our need for God. It also includes miracles of his provision, encounters, dreams, physically knowing and feeling his presence. I mean, every single week, I hear testimonies of individuals 
who are new to our community. They say, I've never felt the presence of the Lord. I remember as a kid feeling the presence of the Lord for the first time. And honestly, that's our prayer for every single kid that floods our church every weekend, is that they would come to know the presence of God. Because I know a kid that experiences the presence of God, they won't depart from that. I mean, seriously, that, that, that gets in their hearts. They begin to actually develop a faith in God that's not, that's not um, vicariously through their parents. They've experienced something real, something tangible, and they won't depart from it. That's our prayer every single weekend. And so an expectation of the signs and wonders draws us to God's power and his wonder. Thirdly, they keep us dependent on God. They keep us dependent on God. And sadly, the church has grown too independent of God. Like how often do we, do we go through the motions? Do we do what we do? Really void of God's power with no expectation that he's gonna do anything. The church should fall apart without the function of the Holy Spirit, the functioning work of the Holy Spirit and his activity in our midst. And that's why Paul's example here is so beautiful. He's all for boasting. He's all for pride. If we're boasting in the work of what only God can do. So he says, I venture to speak of only that which Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders. And so, Pursuing signs and wonders keeps us humble. It says, God, we need you now. Here's someone who desperately needs the power of God. So rather than, rather than soothing them with our good words and our programs, God, we need you. We're desperate for you. We are so dependent on your power in this moment. And so it is as we reach a city, we need God to go before us. Rather than just us reaching more Christians, how about we actually impact our city for real transformation? It keeps us dependent on God. And how that makes everyone scared. Like, oh yeah, we're actually really praying for transformation of people's lives, of of families, of of these neighborhoods. Not just recruiting more Christians from other churches or through our website, but I'm, I'm truly saying impacting our city. The restoration of marriages, restoration of families. You know, the, the setting free of addicts, all those things, that's, that's our heart. And this keeps us dependent on God. Fourth is this, that God uses signs and wonders to get people's attention. For some, it's the unique workings of God. That's what it takes. That's the, the thing that's needed for their eyes to be open to the reality that God is real, that he sees them, that he made a way for them. You know, Paul addresses this when he talks about his ministry of the Greeks and the Jews. He says the Greeks, you know, they need... They need thinking, they need, they need wise thought. And there are some that genuinely come to Christ through those intellectual pursuits. It is like, like a C.S. Lewis. I mean, he came there through just this, this uh, logical process of thinking through uh, all the worldviews that were before him. And eventually it began to move from his head to pierce his heart and he surrendered his life to Christ. But there are others, they, they need the power of God to show up for their, their attention to be drawn to their creator, to their savior. And so we need to contend for that. We need to not neglect it and leave many wanting in our city, in, our, in Story County, in our region. So this is what we're pressing into. We don't seek signs, but we seek the one who works wonders. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come forward. As we press into this, I acknowledge that we're not always gonna get it right. That at times, there may be some that act out emotionally in the flesh. 
that at times some people may be wanting attention. That at times someone may fall into sensationalism or hyper-spirituality. But I'm not going to allow the counterfeit to negate the authentic. I want us to keep our eyes on the wonder worker, this one who does the miraculous, who, who demonstrates his power. This is what Frank Bartleman said, who is a historian during the Azusa Street Revival. The Azusa Street Revival is one of the greatest moves of God that's touched our earth. The turn of the 20th century, God moved in Los Angeles County in a tremendous way. And, and really this move of God, this outpouring started through a one-eyed black man. Like a two, total cast out. I mean, the, the lowest rung in the turn of the century society. And yet God moved powerfully in a way that's still reverberating across the earth to this day. This is what Frank Bartleman said as, as that move of God, especially in his early years, had a lot of critics. More, more critics at the beginning than, than even um, people that had experienced it. It says, uh, Frank Bartleman says this, fallen humanity is such a peculiar thing at its best. So shattered that it's very imperfect. Our understanding of the spirit of God is so limited that we are, out, we are always liable to make a mistake, failing to recognize all that may be really of God. And he accused many of these critics of judging by outward uh, appearances and not actually going to these gatherings and experiencing for themselves this authentic move of God. And it was not perfect as there's never been a perfect move of God. But its effects are still being felt on the earth today. We owe it to the world to proclaim a message of power. And really Paul's heart in this, verse 21, he says, his heart in this is this, that those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand going to these uncharted territories, to the hearts of our city that have never really heard that God is good. They think they know what Christianity is. They think they know what God is, but they've never really seen him for who he is. They've never seen that he's powerful and good and, and means something for their lives, both for the eternity to come and their lives in this world. We owe it to the world to proclaim a message accompanied by signs and wonders. I'm not gonna settle for anything less. I was just reminded this weekend as I was preparing kind of the final thoughts of this, I was reminded of a testimony from a college student from several years back. It was actually our second year on campus. So we moved here from, me and my, my, my family, we moved here from Seattle to start the, the campus ministry at Iowa State, Chi Alpha. And um, second year on campus, this young couple started attending our gatherings. They were dating and had been around the church. You know, like most Midwesterners, they have some experience with church, with, with Christianity. But it was always the, the concept of Christianity tied to a building, tied to a clergy or pastor. Never knew that God actually wanted to personally move in their lives and, and interact with them and save them personally in an individual way. Well, they, they, dive, they dove into Chi Alpha, they encountered Jesus for real surrendered their lives to him. They came to a fall retreat, which we do every fall, which college students you should go. And um, it was there, they really experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, were filled with the Holy Spirit. All these amazing things happened in their life. Fast forward through their college career, I got to officiate their wedding. And they're sitting in my office and we're doing pre-marriage counseling. And I just press into their story more and I get to, be, begin, to begin to hear her story even more so. And she said she, 
she in high school, she contracted this disease which made her infertile. And as she was starting to think about marriage now, I mean, in her college years, starting to think about marriage, it really started to weigh on her. And it was that fall retreat, her sophomore year, where she experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, not just to to save her and to set her free and to, to fill her in a fresh way, but to also heal her body. And it wasn't for an audience. It wasn't for showmanship. It was for her and her personal need that she had in that moment. And God touched her. And she had gone to her doctor and the doctor gave her a clean bill of health and said he couldn't explain what what happened, but she was healed. Fast forward to today and they have a bunch of kids and they're doing well, living out east. But I, I just refuse to sacrifice those testimonies, like refuse to to settle for a comfortable Christianity that's anything less than actual tangible power moving in people's lives. That means something for them. It means something for their families and for the next generation. That's what we're pressing into, family, (laughs) whether you like it or not. So (laughs) So, if you'd all stand to your feet, I want to give an opportunity to respond. Tonight, we're going to respond through worship, as I briefly articulated. I mean, any child of God should be able to worship if they've had, if they've had a true encounter with Jesus. I'm not saying your worship has to look like somebody else's worship, but worship should be from your heart. And I pray everybody experiences true heartfelt worship for themselves. And tonight's going to be an amazing opportunity for us to experience that for sure. But I always want to give people an opportunity to respond to God on any Sunday morning we gather. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, I want you to respond to the Lord this morning. If you're here and the testimonies that I've shared, you're like, Drew, I don't have a relationship with God. I've never surrendered my life to God, or maybe I have in the past, but this morning I know things aren't right, and I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to pray a prayer with you. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand because I'm going to call you out or embarrass you. I just want to know who I'm praying for. But if that's you and you say, Drew, I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to make Jesus Christ my personal Lord and Savior. Would you raise your hand in this place? Awesome. Awesome. Put your hands down. Anybody else? Awesome. So if you raise your hand or even if you didn't, you can pray this prayer. Even later today, with the Lord's like moving in your heart, seriously, you can pray this prayer at any time. It's, it's a matter of personal commitment in your heart of hearts, surrendering yourself fully to Lord, to, to the Lord King Jesus. So Lord, this morning, pray a prayer like this. Lord, this morning, I come to an end of myself. I realize that I cannot clean up my own life. There's nothing I can do about my sin issue. I'm at my end. And I'm surrendering myself fully to you, King Jesus. No turning back. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come and live inside of me now. That Jesus, you've forgiven me. You've given me a new start, that I'm a new creation. I'm new, I'm, uh, this is a new beginning for me because Holy Spirit comes to live inside of me. I want to know you. I want to walk in relationship with you. From this day forward, no turning back. Can we give those that prayed that? A huge round of applause. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.
is such a powerful and essential and therefore Lord, I pray over this church Lord that we more closely resemble what we read about in scripture we stop making excuses stop trying to explain it away to soothe our conscience but Lord we press in and we say God your word says that these things would accompany those that believe and Lord we say why not today why not in our generation why not right here in Story County right here in Ames Lord would you move in our midst God would you pour your Holy Spirit out upon us in such a way that we can truly make an impact in our city that Lord we have something to give our kids that's, that means something for their lives that sets them up for the rest of their lives that Lord we have something to give our neighbors that's meaningful and powerful or would you come, move in our hearts, we ask in our day, signs and wonders, the power of God, King Jesus. So we're going to worship in closing before Kyle comes.